0: morning again hello happy thanksgiving did you have a good good break yeah yeah sweater was a bad idea it's hot but you know what they say dress for the season not for the weather and i was feeling the sweater so i went for it hides all the thanksgiving lumps it's great um, hey, I got a couple more updates real quick before I get into this, before I read the scripture. One, you may, maybe you saw the community update. but I just want to make sure everybody hears this um, from me uh, personally. You know, we hit 91% from the, from the home campaign, which is amazing. That's awesome. We're so close, so close. Um, but in light of that, the leadership board and the staff team have spent been a lot of time praying about how we should approach this holiday season. And we've made the decision to hit pause on the miracle offering. Y'all remember that over the last two years, we collect an offering and it gets used uh, to help sponsor some of the work that our partners are doing here in the Midlands. That first year, y'all raised money and we gave it to the social workers in District 5 to help service the families, right? And last year, we did Family family Promise of the Midlands. We definitely want to keep this tradition going. We just feel like it was a good idea for this year for us to hit pause. Two reasons for that. One is we've been talking about this the whole time. In order for us to build our first home, it's going to take way more than generosity. It's going to take sacrifice, and I know that many of you have already said no to some things in order to create space to make your pledge, right? And we just want to honor that. We felt a check in our spirit about asking people to make another sacrificial gift at this time. We say a lot around here that the kingdom grows where we choose to bleed, but we also got to be careful not to bleed out. That's gross, but you know what I mean, um, Y'all are incredibly sacrificial, and we can't thank you enough for that. And we're going to bring the offering back. But for this year, we just want to really zero in on uh, closing that gap, right? At the same time, there's going to be plenty of things for you to do this Advent season to make it a really, really meaningful, meaningful time. Everybody who calls Emmaus home is going to be invited to participate in the next phase of the home campaign, which we'll be getting that out in the next week or two, but we're going to need all of your help for this. Even if you've already made a pledge, there's going to be some next steps and some ways we want, to help you, we want you to help us uh, sort of pull this off. At the same time, we want to encourage you to offer maybe a different sort of gift this year. Instead of a financial gift, consider offering the gift of your time and your presence You know, partner with one of our um, community partners, some of the people we lift up on a regular basis. We've got a few of those opportunities already scheduled for you, which you can read about in the community update or um, online at the website or our app. But continue serving somewhere, right? Giving some of your time that way. Um, I want to encourage you to take advantage of the resources that Kara has put together. Our family uh, has utilized that Advent calendar um, every year, and it is such a rich time. Our kids are so pumped for tonight. Because they know they get to do the reading and and light the candles. And it just makes for a really meaningful season. You can connect with Dylan. Dylan talked to you a little bit earlier about sponsoring a family. We've got several families that we're still wanting to sponsor uh, during during the holiday season. And so if that's something you are are interested in, please connect with Dylan afterwards. You got it? You dig? And then also, um, Christmas Eve service is still going to be on Christmas Eve Eve, the 23rd. But we got a new venue, y'all. We are going to be at the amphitheater in Community Park of Armo. Have you all ever been there? It's beautiful. It's where they have the ochre strut, a bunch of new parking available. And so we think it's going to be an awesome night. That's the 23rd, not the 24th. Uh, We're going to be passing out some invites for you to use to get your friends and family here so that we can make it a really beautiful night. That's all I got for my announcements. Now can I read the scripture? Yeah? Sound good? Scripture comes from Luke chapter 2 Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And may God add a blessing to the hearing and the understanding of the scriptures. So. Of all the ways that I could begin talking about the wonder and the mystery and the beauty of the Advent season, I want to begin by bringing up the phenomenon that is our culture's obsession with Hallmark Christmas movies. How many of y'all saw that coming? Let's give it up for our Hallmark Christmas movie fans. Y'all, you know, it's estimated... That over 85 million people will watch these lovely, underwhelming movies. You know, each year, hold on, just give me a second here. She's going about to throw her shoe at me. Give me a second. Just give me a second. You know, it's estimated, like I said, over 85 million people will watch these movies. And each year, this is nuts, Hallmark is the highest rated and most watched network for the entire fourth quarter because of these movies. I don't exactly know what that means, but I know it has something to do with the fact that a lot of people watch these movies all the time. And I was thinking this past week, why is that? Like, why do so many of us love these movies so much? It has nothing to do with any sort of new or interesting plot lines. If you pay attention, there's only like three plots that they just sort of recycle over and over again. Let me see if I can nail this, all right? First, you've got, like, this successful but jaded career woman who returns to her picturesque hometown for the holidays, just in time to reconnect with her handsome but still single high school sweetheart. Together, they put on an old-fashioned Christmas fair in order to save the historic children's library from demolition. you seen that one? Yeah. Then, I got more, there's two more, there's at least two more. Then there's the working class American girl who accidentally meets and falls for a handsome stranger who turns out to be a prince, a millionaire, or some sort of celebrity incognito, right? And she goes on to show him the true meaning of Christmas, and he falls for her despite having to overcome the objection of the queen, a bunch of lawyers, or a Hollywood agent. You seen that one? And then, of course, there's the one about two people switching places at Christmas because they think a different life would be better, only to discover Christmas trees aren't always greener on the other side of the fence. Did I nail it? Did I nail it? Yeah? Every movie is some variation of that. And so why is it that we love them? I'm poking fun at this. But let me get serious. I think the reason why so many people love these movies actually gets to the very heart of what the Advent season is all about. Happy endings. Happy endings. All of these movies share that in common. No matter the challenges, no matter how bad it seems to get, we all know it's going, how it's going to come to a close with a happy ending. We love a happy ending. Any, more than that, we need happy endings. And happy endings. It's what Advent is all about. I know for some of you, this is like new and you're like, what? Advent? What is that? And like the little thing with the chocolates, you know, you open the window, eat the chocolates. So, a quick little intro to Advent the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming or the arrival. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have been using this time not only to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but to also anticipate the return. Of Jesus, right, when all things will be made well. At the heart of our faith is this belief that that God has started something real, something new, right here in the middle of our world, in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, one day God's going to finish what was started. She's central to what it means to be a Christian is to live from this conviction that history has a happy ending. That this whole thing is headed somewhere, and that somewhere is good. And so for centuries, followers of Jesus have used these weeks leading up to Christmas to sort of reconnect with that promise. And this year, I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to like try and cutesy up Advent. I didn't want to try to come up with some you know, new and sort of flashy title. I just want to call it Advent. I just want to have an old-fashioned advent. I don't know about you, but around this time of the year, I tend to be drawn towards older things. Y'all feel that way? You know, there's like the certain decorations you put out, that you put out every year, and a lot of them have stories to them, right? They're given to you by somebody else. I'm sort of drawn towards older things, or even food. Right? I saw somewhere this past week, somebody said, Thanksgiving is not that time to be trying something new, right? Because some of us, it's not Thanksgiving unless there's some macaroni pie on the table. Am I right? I mean, we tend to be drawn towards old things. Is even a family in the church, the Maleys. Where y'all at? Right here, y'all do y'all do something different for Thanksgiving every year. They eat food from a different country, right? What year? What was it this year? Italy it was an Italian Thanksgiving. Now, the fact that they do it every year makes it a tradition, right? Something that they do on a regular basis. Like twenty years from now, Jaden's married to somebody, and they're like, "Hey, look, well, we just do an old-fashioned American Thanksgiving." You'd be like, "Uh, no." we got to do something funky, right? I mean, this this is sort of how they do things. Around this time of the year, we tend to be drawn towards tradition, towards things that have been around for a while, towards older things. And, y'all, Advent is really old. Some say that it dates back to the 4th century, which means that people have been practicing Advent for 1,500 years. Think about that. I love that. There's something so grounding about that. Everything in our day is so new and flashy and all these fads coming in our style. I, I want to be a part of something that lasts, right? Something that's been around for a while. And so this year, we're just going to have old-fashioned Advent. And here's what I mean by that. Traditionally, there are four themes of Advent. Hope, who knows the rest? Joy, peace, and love right? And these, these themes are meant to serve as, as like these signposts to help point us in the right direction, to reconnect us to this bigger story that we've all been invited to, and to remind us of God's promise of a happy ending. And each one of these themes builds off one another, and they really prepare us to not only celebrate Jesus, but to make space for a new encounter with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need that so bad right now. That's what I want. I want to have an encounter with the presence of Jesus. So for the next four weeks, we're going to just see what these four themes have to say to us. This morning, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the story about an old man, Simeon, and his encounter with the baby Jesus. I love starting with Simeon at Advent. In fact, every year except for last year, uh, Simeon's who I start with. I always start with Simeon because I think he's such a picture of what this season is meant to be for us, and he's a picture of what Advent hope looks like. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. (sighs) Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's the prayer of Advent. The prayer that your people have been praying for 1,500 years during this time. It's a time for us to get back in touch with our need for your presence in our life. And so, right now, we just invite you to be here, to be present. We invite you into our hearts and our minds to speak into those places that only you can heal, that only you can make whole. And so, God, I pray that you do whatever it is you have to do in us this morning to get us to hear from you. Speak a word to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the story in Luke chapter 2, not long after Jesus was born, we're kind of getting out of time, timeline here. It's like a Marvel movie or something, right? So Jesus is not born yet, okay? Or he's been born, um, But not long after he's been born, his parents, they take him to the temple in Jerusalem in order to participate in some of the traditions and the customs of the people. And while they were there, they ran into this man named Simeon. You get the sense that he's pretty old, right? In fact, there's a tradition that dates back to the second century. says he was 112 years old when this took place. So he's been around for a while. And according to Luke, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit That he would not die until he had laid eyes on the Messiah, on the Anointed One. I had a hunch. I have a feeling. What does it mean when he says that he had been revealed to the Holy Spirit? I feel like it was like that sort of thing that you just sort of know. You just have a hunch. Like there's something that you know in a way that doesn't involve your brain. You just know it. You know what I'm talking about? And like if you say it out loud, you feel weird saying it out loud. So he probably kept kept this to himself. He just had this hunch, right? And then being led by the Spirit, Simeon makes his way into the temple at just the right time. And as soon as he lays eyes on Jesus, he knows immediately who he is. He's the one he's been waiting for. He's the one his whole people have been waiting for. And he takes his baby in his arms and he prays this beautiful prayer. But, but I, like, I like want us to feel this. I want us to really feel this. Simeon, being an old man... 112 years old, he would have been alive to witness some really painful history for his people. This, this was like a new aha moment for me last Christmas. Like some, some dots were connected. We tend to think of Israel, especially around the time of Jesus, as a people who had been used to being conquered. Now That was true for most of their history. They'd been ruled by one empire after another, but there was a small window of time where this wasn't the case. At the point that we're reading at here in Luke chapter 2 in history... Rome had only been ruling over Israel for like 60 years. Before that, Israel had been an independent kingdom for a little over 100 years. A family known as the Maccabees led a successful revolt against the Seleucid kingdom, which was like an offshoot of the Greek empire. This is where Hanukkah comes from. We've got to think about this. The generation before Jesus, which would have been Simeon's generation, they knew freedom. For at least half of their lifetime, they tasted what it was like to be their own nation. And then the Romans showed up and took all that away. And so Simeon would have witnessed all of that. He witnessed firsthand the Romans conquering his homeland. He saw a bloody civil war not long after that. And he would have watched numerous revolutions crushed by the Romans. And yet, he held out hope. Year after year, he held out hope that God had not given up on them. That the Messiah, the Deliverer, was still on his way. All of this is behind that phrase in verse 25. Let's put that back up on the screen The a second slide. Verse 25, when it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation, or some translations say the comfort of Israel consolation of Israel is a poetic way of speaking about the promises of God, about turning things around, about dealing with the pain and the suffering in the world, about setting things right. Simeon was waiting for that. I'll be honest, waiting is kind of a weak way to translate the word. In the Greek, it's the word prosdechomai, and it's often translated as to cherish or to expect eagerly. It's the kind of waiting that somebody does from their guts. I think a better translation is the word longing. Longing for the comfort, the consolation of Israel. Prostechomai, it's the kind of waiting. It reminds me of like when Lindsay and I were dating. You know, we we had a long distance relationship the entire time we dated. So we'd only see each other on the weekends. And I'll never, I'll never forget what it felt like on a Friday when she was on her way to see me. It's so only an hour and a half drive. You know how long that hour and a half took? I was ready to see my baby. But you just can't wait. You know what I'm talking about? It's that waiting you just kind of feel in your guts. Like that's prostecomy. It's a longing. I think about a parent who's waiting for their kid to get home after a de- deployment. They've been gone for years, but they're coming home for the holidays. Do you feel that? That's prostecomy. It's a deep sort of waiting that you do from your guts. You see, Advent hope, you all hear me, Advent hope is a hope that has an ache to it. There's an ache to the season of Advent. You can hear it in some of the songs that we sing. One of my favorites, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You hear it in that song. Don't you feel it in that song? There's an ache. See, this is a time of year that calls us to get back in touch with our deep need for God's comfort for God's healing presence in our lives and in the world around us. I find this to be one of the most refreshing parts of the season because we live in a culture that's ache adverse. We don't like to feel any sort of ache. And we've gotten really good at numbing ourselves to it or distracting ourselves from it. I remember a few years ago, I really hurt my back. Like It was a bad back, a bad back strain. Horrible. And I remember, like, the first night I had to sleep, like, the only comfortable position was leaning over the kitchen counters, countertop. I literally stayed there all night. That's like one of those close to 40 war stories you have, you know what I mean? You ever, like, slept on the counter of the kitchen? It almost might be 40 then, right? It was awful. I mean, I couldn't move. I eventually had to get some, some muscle relaxers in order to sleep. Now, I understand Why it's easy for some people to get addicted to to those things. You shouldn't leave them laying around. Some of us shouldn't touch them, period. But I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't stand the way they made me feel. It was horrible. I was like out of it. I was just in this sort of fog, and I couldn't shake it. I didn't feel the pain, but I didn't really feel much of anything else either. Certainly didn't feel very alive. That's how so many people in our part of the world live their lives. We have so many things to busy ourselves with. To distract ourselves with, to be worried about. We've got numerous ways to numb ourselves. And as a result, the things that really matter our life with God, the care for our soul, our concern for the world and our neighbors we just sort of grow numb to the whole thing. We just grow cold to it. I mean, this is where so many of our bad habits come from. They're an attempt to escape to numb, to distract ourselves from disappointment or dissatisfaction. That's why we go to the fridge when we want a distraction. We go to the computer screen when we're feeling lonely. We reach for our stimulant of choice when we feel empty. I mean, it shows up in some less obvious ways too, but they're still really destructive. Like, think about our phones. Like, how we go to our phones. We go to the doctor's office. And you have to wait in the lobby for like 10 minutes. What's the first thing you do? You pull out the phone and you just start scrolling. God forbid you're actually bored for a few minutes. We stop at a traffic light. Don't act like you don't do it. And you pull it out, right? Instead of just being quiet, being there. We're just addicted to distracting ourselves. We're addicted to numbing ourselves. to like I just don't want to feel any sort of disappointment, any sort of loneliness. What do I got to do to not feel that? And we've gotten really, really good at it. So we rarely ever have what the mystics call a pregnant moment. You know, like they call a pregnant pause. When somebody's giving a speech and they stop for a second, it just kind of hangs there and everybody's like feeling it. We rarely have pregnant moments in our life where we're actually aware of what's going on. We're tuned in. Part of us is here and part of us is somewhere else. But Advent's a season when we resist that. We say no to it. And instead, we allow ourselves to feel the ache. And I'm going to tell you right now, the ache can keep us aware. Let me show you what I mean. Here's one of my favorite pictures from the holidays. Can we put that picture up with Selma? Ah. It's a few years old now. We have several of these. Every year we catch her looking at the music box. She used to call it the Uzik Ox. It belonged to my wife's Nana, who was like my wife's favorite person on planet Earth. She passed away before um, I met Lindsay, so I never got a chance to meet her. But she loved this music box, and Selma loves this music box. And we would always sneak into the dining room. We'd find her doing that, just staring at it, right? So that's the picture we took a few years ago. Here's the one we took this year. Do You got that picture? Ouch. Like looking at that picture kind of hurts a little. If you notice she's not on her tiptoes anymore. She's kind of so much bigger. Do you feel that kind of uh But if I let myself feel that, you know what it does? It keeps me awake. You only have a few of these seasons. We only have a couple. A handful. Pay attention. Pay attention. Because when you look back, you know what you're going to miss more than anything when you look back on these times? Not the presents you got. Not how decorated your house was or how busy you were or how many parties. You know what you're going to miss? Paying attention to each other. That's what we're going to miss. So the ache, if we let ourselves feel it, it can, it can keep us aware. It can keep us tuned in to the stuff that really, really matters. If we let the ache of Advent get to us, then what it ultimately does is it gets us in touch with our deepest desires, which I know sounds weird for some of us who maybe have grown up in the church, because we often make it sound like the point of faith or spirituality is like to get rid of our desires, just sort of like not want anything, you know? It's not about what I want, it's about what God wants, it's just that sort of, we're not supposed to want anything, we're just supposed to be like sort of neutral. I don't see it that way. I don't think faith or spirituality is about getting rid of our desires. I think it's about getting in touch with our deepest desires. You see, a lot of the time we're distracted by these cheap 99-cent desires. These sort of like shallow wants that usually have something to do with being a bit more admired. right, Or some sort of stimulation or getting our hands on something bigger, newer, or nicer. And I know a lot of us, man, we've gotten in a lot of trouble because of our more shallow desires. We've got these triggers, right? We've got these temptations. We'll call them even addictions. The last thing we need to do is be paying attention to sort of our shallow desires. But I would argue that behind all of them, behind all of our shallow desires, there's a deeper desire there. There's something that we actually want more than that. And I would argue that our deepest desire is for the presence of God's healing in our lives for God's healing presence in our lives. And Advent is a time when we can get back in touch with that. Let me just open up a little bit. Can I get a little vulnerable with you? Try not to cry, even though you know you got a pastor who cries a bit. Funny thing is, I only cry when I'm up here. I don't cry that much anywhere else. Just when I'm up here. You know, a few weeks ago, I was looking for something to open up the sermon with, like a story, and I came across that video of the baseball players. Remember that from a few weeks ago? The boy that, you know, was in a collision at practice and he had massive brain damage and injuries and they weren't sure if he was going to be able to walk again, right? But he recovered and he actually started playing baseball again. His first at bat, remember this story? The the other team, all one by one, walked up to him, took off their hats and they shook his hand, right? I, I was watching that video for the first time that week, I remember, and it wrecked me. Like the version I was watching had like music playing behind it, so they're like really tugging on your heartstrings, you know? But I'm like watching it, I'm like getting teary-eyed, and all of a sudden, I was more than just tearing up. I was like crying, I really crying. And it didn't take me very long to realize that I'm crying about way more than this video. I was by myself, nobody was there, and so I just kind of let myself do it. I just kind of went with it. All this stuff started coming up. The last three years for me have been really hard. Hard. Not just for the obvious reasons. The last three years have been hard for all of us. Whew. But my dad died three years ago. And we had a really weird relationship. And I haven't really dealt with that. Not really. And then I think about some of the church hurt my wife and I are still dealing with. And some what felt like betrayal for some close friends a few years ago. And, like, that started kind of coming up. Then the whole first year in the pandemic, y'all, that was scary. We were ten weeks old. Then we had to go and be a virtual church. Now, if I'm really honest, I was afraid. I was afraid we weren't going to make it. I mean, we're not going to get a chance to get off the ground. And so, but but for me, you got to understand, I am the king of distraction. That is my thing. I am great optimism. I'm a seven on the enneagram. If you know what that is, we are we're escape artists. That's what we are. Things don't feel good. Distraction, positivity, keep it upbeat. It's going to be fine, right? That's what I've been doing for the last three years because, we be honest, I kind of had to. I didn't have time to be upset or hurt or scared. I had to figure this out. We had to keep it going. We had to be strong. We had to go. And so for me, I feel like all this stuff I was just putting in the closet, putting it in the closet, putting it in the closet. And that video, something about that video cracked that door open a little bit. And all this stuff just came out. I am craving Advent this year because there's some stuff I still need God to help me with. There's some healing that I need in here. There's some. The same is probably true for you. Maybe there's some issue of forgiveness you keep getting tripped up on. There's some bitterness and resentment you're holding towards somebody still. Maybe for you, this Advent, come, Lord Jesus, come, come into that place. Make me sensitive to those places in my life where I need you to be present there. That's my hope for us as advent is that we wouldn't distract ourselves from the ache but we'd let ourselves feel it and even more than that we'd have the courage to invite God into that place how in touch are you with the ache so advent hope it's a real real uppity merry christmas but i think it's necessary it's necessary its advent hope is Birthed out of ache, but it's also rooted in source. You see, the thing about hope is that it has to have an anchor, it has to have something that we put it on. Hope has to be directed towards something, and to be Advent people, to be Jesus people, means that our hope is anchored on source and not on outcomes. Let me tell you what I mean. Simeon, he gives us a picture of what this looks like. It's interesting. When you read through the Gospels, most of the people who ran into Jesus had a hard time recognizing him for who he was. In fact, most of them missed it all together. But not Simeon. Simeon was able to see in this six-month-old baby the fulfillment to his deepest longings and desires. Why? Why? Why was Simeon able to recognize Jesus when most of the time people just missed him altogether? together? Well, the people who missed Jesus, their hope was in their preferred outcomes. It was in their specific expectations. It was in what they wanted to see happen, how they wanted things to change, and what they wanted God to do for them. And so when Jesus didn't do any of this stuff, they just dismissed him altogether. You see, most people were looking for a nationalistic Messiah. They were looking for a conquering king who would come in and eliminate all of their enemies and take care of all of their problems. But Jesus didn't crush their enemies, did he? He got crucified by them. What kind of Messiah is this? You see, Jesus wasn't the Messiah that most people wanted. But goodness gracious, he's the Messiah that we needed. You see, Simeon's hope wasn't rooted in outcomes. It was rooted in source. It was rooted in God, the one who made the promises. You see, what anchored his hope, it wasn't the what's, the wins, or the hows. What anchored his hope was the who. It was the one who made the promise. And so let me say it really clearly for you, this this Advent season. There's a difference between being hopeful for something and then putting your hope in something. There's a difference there. There's a difference between being hopeful for an outcome and then putting your hope in that outcome. It's like the person whose marriage is hanging on by a thread. It's one thing to be hopeful that the marriage can be restored. But it's another thing to put your hope in the marriage being restored. Because I got news for you. It might not. Might not happen. Because that happening depends on way more than just you and God, doesn't it? There's another person involved, your spouse, and they may quit, they may bail, they may choose to walk away, and then what? If your hope is put in the outcome, your only option then is despair. In fact, I've heard it said, you know what despair is? Despair is our body's way of telling us we put our hope in the wrong thing. And often what we do is we put our hope in outcomes. Advent invites us to put our hope in source, in God. The difference between being hopeful for something and then putting your hope in something. We can be hopeful for meeting that special someone, getting that new job. We can be hopeful for that relationship being restored or that issue in our family being resolved or our health turning around, but we've got to be careful not to put our hope in those things because outcomes are not guaranteed. Y'all, this is, how, this is a picture of how things have shifted so much for me over the last 20 years. Like in my early 20s, I didn't like how people used the word hope. Because it just sounded like wishful thinking. You know, it's like, I hope I win the lottery. I hope I would. It just felt like this sort of passive. It's like we just sit back and just sort of wish for things. I didn't like that. It's like, no, hope is not passive. Hope isn't about sitting back and sort of waiting for an outcome. It's about living into a preferred outcome. right? And there's some truth to that. There's still a whole lot of truth to it. But when I when I go back and listen to like my early 20s version of myself, it almost sounds like I thought that with just enough hope, with just enough faith, enough grit and perseverance, then we can make outcomes happen. 20 years later, some of the stuff I've been through personally, about the stuff I've seen happen to other people, about some of the things I've had to walk through with people, I don't think about it that way anymore. Hope isn't about controlling outcomes. It's about handling outcomes. I don't know why things work out for some people and why they don't work out for others. I don't know why things turn around for some people and why they don't turn around for other people. There are so many factors involved in all of that. But here's what I do know. Is that when we root our hope and source in God... What we often find is the strength to walk through whatever comes our way. That's the hope that we're offered in Jesus. That's the hope of Advent. And so here's a question I want you to sit with as we begin this season. I want you to sit with it all week. And I'll put it out there for us so we can be reminded of it during the week. But here's the question. What expectations, demands of life, or attachments do you need to let go of in order to make room for God? What expectations, demands of life or attachments do you need to let go of in order to make room for God? Remember, despair is our body's way of telling us we put our hope in the wrong thing. I want you to sit with that question this week to really wrestle with it. This is where I want to leave things this morning. This is where I want to leave it. We're just getting started. But I really want to challenge you to make this season different, to do intentional things. I'm going to be using the Lectio 365 app all during Advent. I haven't found a better resource for my morning devotional times. Some of you don't like it because they read to you, they talk to you. Here, Don't hit the play button, okay? You can just read it yourself. But they're doing a they're doing an advent. They're doing an advent study. But I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to do that. We're gonna post the prayers each day. Lee Miller, you gave me that idea. I love when you share the prayer from the Lectio app. We're gonna be doing that. Even just if you got if that's all you do, make time to pray through that prayer yourself. I'm gonna be try try to write some personal reflections throughout the week and what I'm learning for it. But do something different this year. Like Make time. Be intentional. One of my favorite things to do every morning, I sit in a dark room with one candle. I light one candle during the season of Advent, and I just sit in that room, and I look at that candle. There's something so clarifying about that. Just centering myself on that. And I invite God to just bring to light, what are some of the things, what are some of the places I still need your healing presence in? And I want to long for it. I want to be, be centered and zeroed in on that. Just make an effort. Don't just do the same old things and get caught up in the craziness of this season. Let's make it meaningful, yeah? Let's do that together. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to pray us through a, a final Advent prayer. Um, this is the Advent prayer I love using every year. Um, I think it's a beautiful prayer. It's from Frederick Beekner. I'm going to pray most of it out loud for us. But there's going to be three, three times where you're invited to pray all together, to pray the, the ancient Advent prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Can we all try it one time together? You ready? Come, Lord Jesus, come. You'll, when you see those words on the screen, you're supposed to pray that out loud together. But hear this prayer. Make it your own. Thou Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, be born again into our world. Wherever there is war in this world. Wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come, thou long-expected one, with healing in thy wings. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy child, whom the shepherds and the kings and the dumb beasts adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is temptation too strong to resist, Wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, thou blessed one, with healing in thy wings. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Savior, be born in each of us who raises their face to thy face, not knowing fully who they are or who thou art, knowing only that your love is beyond our knowing and that no other has the power to make us whole. Come, Lord Jesus, to each who longs for thee, even though they have forgotten thy name. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Church, thank you for being with us this Sunday. We'll see you next week.